0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another all new X's for Podcast. The show where we take a look at the many time-hopping, body-swapping adventures of Wolverine through his lives and deaths, week after week, through their many titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me snickedin' along on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. That of course does make this an X-Lives, X-Deaths, Life of Wolverine Monday special event here on X's for Podcast, as the amazing Ben Percy, with help from Jim Zub, series comes to its inevitable conclusion, culminating after 10 issues of the parallel series, X-Lives and X-Deaths, as well as Life of Wolverine in its infinite comic form. We're here today to talk about X-Lives 4 and 5, finishing out that first miniseries. We're going to take a look at the penultimate issues then of Life of Wolverine and X-Deaths of Wolverine. So kicking things off is X-Lives of Wolverine 4 and 5, and this has been such an amazing experience for me because Wolverine is absolutely one of my favorite characters in the entire universe, and several times a year we do special Wolverine content and special Wolverine only episodes and because of this event I've already had to do like three or four this year so I know that some of our more you know Wolverine fans are probably really thrilled with this year's content so far but I'm sure with the upcoming slate of Destiny of X coming up we're going to be seeing a little bit more focus on a lot of other characters and you know one of the things that I think is so incredible about X Lives of Wolverine is that while it certainly did focus on the titular character of Wolverine we get into how it also focused on Omega Red a character who so many of us had felt for many years was sort of painfully one-dimensional through not exactly the fault of any one person working on the character, but sort of the inevitability of a character whose original focus was to be scary and was created in a great time of office upheaval for the X-Men. You know, writers and artists were coming and going at an alarming rate at that point. So Omega Red maybe never got the love that he really needed to feel like the kind of character that Ben Percy clearly saw him as. And if nothing else, I'm going to excitedly take from X-Lives of Wolverine 4 and 5 that it feels like Wolverine really does have a rogue in Omega Red in a way that I don't know that I ever saw him before. So we hope you guys enjoy our coverage finishing out X-Lives of Wolverine with issues 4 and 5. And don't forget, if you guys like what you hear, you might want to give us a follow over on X's for Podcast on Twitter. (laughs) Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. Now I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me in through time over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAct, and that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hello,
1: it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that is
2: H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. Mi gente, what's up? It's doodle You can find me at Mr. Box on Twitter and Instagram.
3: And hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAway, that's at Twitter, and sometimes it's Grand Desert AOA where I am hopefully surviving this experience a lot better than Banshee is. I'm
0: like eternally bitter about that, which means we're here to discuss our two-part coverage of X Lives and X Deaths 4 and Kinda 5, right? So it's X Lives 4 and 5 by the incredible creative team of Benjamin Percy as our writer on this massive project. Josh Cassara is responsible for the art for the predominant parts of 4 and 5. However, those incredible World War II flashbacks had fill-in art by Federico Vincenti, who is probably better known for doing the majority of the work over on x Deaths, and then Frank Martin, who is, you know, really known for, like, a hyper saturated style, showing some phenomenal dexterity here on colors, with Corey Pettit on letters. So, I am really eager to get everybody's thoughts on this story and kind of the nature of Logan as a time-displaced character in general. Something we talk a lot about is who is your Logan and what does he do but something we don't talk about quite as often is, is there a time period for your Logan? How does everybody feel in general about the sort of days of future pastification of Logan into a time trap?
2: I've been enjoying this a lot. One thing that really threw me was the venomification of Logan. Logan, the venom I, of it all. Yeah,
0: I I definitely tried to throw in some quick coverage on that just to make it make sense really really fast. But that uh that definitely surprised
2: me too, buddy. <laughs> Yo, that was chaotic as hell. It was definitely a choice to
1: throw the venom stuff in there. That was new to me, and I gotta be completely frank. I don't think it added to the story not one bit. <laughs> like artistically, it's a fun choice, but I don't really see the I don't really see the story justification for throwing that in on one panel, it it seemed completely disembodied from the rest of the issue.
2: When you had the cute little venom parasite, I was like oh wait why is it yeah, look so cute? that was a
0: baby for me that was a cute little baby i always needed
2: like it's just so weird because i know you know now in in you know it's 2022 and like what last year the year before we had the whole king in black thing and like we've seen a symbiote version of pretty much every character in their marvel universe and that's all well and good but like this is time traveling you so just that's all nolan good <laughs> <laughs> love it so like that that you know that is what it is. Is, but like this is this is weapon x era logan like dr cornelius like what like I, so i don't know i i'm not familiar with the vietnam venom stories i'm not familiar with what's going on but it's just weird to me that like we're like muddling through time and it's like oh let's add a little more venom to our past like what i get the wanting to tie in
1: all the percy related media i don't remember if web of vietnam which nope
0: not written by percy looked it up not written by percy Just him digging in deep. Yeah, I looked it up for that exact reason.
1: Then he won't be sad for me to say this, but that is my absolute contender for worst title of a comic I've ever seen (laughs) in my entire life. (laughs)
0: It is so beyond
1: the Ver- apostrophe Nam C- Shut up <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, Yeah that's no. like a nation you know And I found it, it sort of goes into this story position Where like I get why Logan's there In terms of the trying to build This web of Venom story It came at a time where they were trying to create an interconnected web To set up for any further um, interaction Right but my problem here Is that it does feel like it's just meant to represent One of the five figures in the box This feels like you can't really justify how like longshoreman logan is a different fucking figure than like wheatfield logan so instead they're going to give us a new venomized logan in the 10 lives of logan action figure box and that is kind of what it felt like
1: yeah can, can i just uh i have a confession to make and it is that this particular series x lives has been by and large a, a disappointment to me. I just I think that there was so much potential going into this, and I was very hyped up for it. It does not feel so far, even though there's one issue left of F- X deaths, but X lives does not feel like the definitive Logan story that we were kind of sold on. Yes, he's traveling back in time to a lot of different lives. There's a data page in the next issue in in number five that honestly feels like it feels like they were like, oh, we were supposed to have separate, distinct lives that you could pick out and like you know know what. We're we're talking about. So we're going to just quickly list three of them, which I don't even know if I even met those three in the pages. That's how like disjointed and unfocused a lot of the series has been on on his various past lives. They all kind of run together. And I know they run together for Logan. And that's part of his story. But it doesn't it doesn't bring me any closer to a deeper appreciation of who Logan is and what his life was in the way that it felt like the series was set up to be it often. I mean, I don't know in the end it feels more like this was an a story arc for omega red than anything else and i think it works best on that premise clapping and snapping the idea of
3: going through and revisiting the past lives but it's through current wolverine it just doesn't like it, all it seems like is it just wolverine being drawn in a different setting in different clothes i don't i don't get yeah any yeah any any like there was not as much internalizing about like oh i was really different back then bob absolutely you know? like there should have been more depth to it and it's been a fun ride, but I just haven't gotten any definitive death.
1: Yeah, this death. death we've death. gotten some definitive <laughs> We've got deaths. some death, but not but, death. But no definitive lives. Yeah, it, it does feel like to me this is a showcase for Josh Kassara. And on those grounds, I can love it for what it is because he's become one of my all time favorite artists. And as much respect as I have for Percy as a writer, this it is definitely not what I came into this expecting it to be. And I was left a little cold by the end of it.
0: I think in a lot of ways it's lacking the editorial support that it would need to be the statement on wolverine that it was sort of promised to be and that's not a statement against the editors but like when we're now getting crossovers that are 22 fucking issues long it's really hard to and you know one of the things that i noticed is every issue in the and i know it's so dumb that i love the coding stuff but like if you look at the coding the issues are all labeled 10 lives x deaths as though he only has had these 10 lives but he's had an unlimited number of deaths within each one like there's even like so much potential thought to it but at the end of the day i got a lot more characterization out of Life of Wolverine over on X-Men Unlimited, where Jim Zub went era by era having Gene Grey examine the things that built together Wolverine's fractured conscious.
1: You are so right. I feel like somehow Life of Wolverine is the story that I thought Ben Percy was telling me I was going to get out of this story, which is wildly confusing because that one feels like the optional one.
2: You know, I don't know. I mean, there's something cool about the stakes of everything's happening all at once throughout the time stream and you've got you know this Omega red threat like the concept of it is cool but I do agree that like the execution has felt it's a little bit of a almost like a bottle episode in a weird way in that it feels like yeah like mm-hmm. meanwhile like somebody's just been I don't know hanging out at the at the green Lagoon this whole time and it's just been you know Wolverine Jean gray and Professor X sitting in a room going through all this like there's something small about it that that is just not not really gratifying and it's it's been really hard for me to separate the two series so you know without muddying the waters though i do want to say the one thing about all of this that i appreciate the most is the revelations with with moira right but over here with the logan of it all yeah i mean i'm i'm good i've had my fill you're
1: so right and it's it's weird that you, i think you hit the nail on the head when you said how small it feels because yep. this the scope of it really is so grand it's a 200 year story throughout time that involves the entire legacy of the xavier family and and somehow it still feels like a. It still feels like a small three-issue arc in Wolverine, I'm racking my brains to try to understand why all other comics had to be put on hold during this time, and honestly, more and more it starts to feel like there was a hiatus that needed to happen to get writers and artists up to speed, and this happened to be a convenient placeholder, which I hate to say that because that sounds like I'm underselling the importance of the event. It's clear that Marvel put importance on the event, but it, it doesn't feel like that. And I think part of that sources back to, in many ways, this
0: doesn't feel like it organically came From anything, It definitely picks up on all of the threads we've had laid out from the Rasputin storyline and the Omega Red storyline, which I have to be really, like, horribly candid. I feel very uncomfortable discussing the overtly real-world tones of Russia in the pages of Wolverine right now. It is not a good place to be, and it's something that if you go way, way, way back to the first time this ever came up, and I'm pretty sure nearly every contributor since has said it in their first episode, but it becomes uncomfortable trying to manage the reality of real world Russian politics with what's going on in this story and a mad power grab
1: to destroy a legacy and steal a nation. It just becomes very awkward. Did you, I I understand the real world parallels. I tried very hard to focus on the X-Force storyline in order to kind of ground myself in the comic book world rather than in real life events at this. Did any of you feel like this was a satisfying conclusion or turning point for Mikhail's arc? or his plan because I don't I really like Omega Red's storyline in here and it's really weird for me to be like Omega Red has the best character arc because I think he's a nothing character most of the time and he's pretty good in this but Mikhail's plan doesn't make a lick of sense to me now that I think about it like now that we're getting to the end I'm like what does it do for the new Russia to kill Xavier before Krakoa if I mean Xavier is not the only person involved Moira could have just worked with Apocalypse and Magneto if there was no Xavier in this timeline Moira would have been a better choice to kill but he didn't know about Moira I'm assuming and then the new Russia itself is founded as a rival state to Krakoa inspired by it so or we're we're assuming inspired by it so would the new Russia even exist without Krakoa is it's I'm trying to figure out exactly why it would be advantageous to kill Xavier and none of it really adds up on that level for me but Omega Red does get that carbonadium out of him.
0: I really do agree that I don't think there was room to facilitate the Mikhail story and the Omega Red story here because at the end, Mikhail just kind of comes off like a big baby. Like, seriously, just like a petulant child. Like, no, you didn't play right and now I didn't get a nation and now you wasted my sword. Like, it doesn't feel like Mikhail is a rival to Apocalypse or a rival to Xavier in any way. I feel like now Mikael is just kind of like a... All right. He's just kind of like a European brotherhood
3: leader now. Great. He doesn't it's, even seem like a good rival to Jamie Braddock.
0: Oh, certainly. Yeah, no, not at all. And like, I think I wanted a grandiose villain out of this. You know, Arturo, you've been pulling for Mikhail to kind of come in and be a grandiose villain since day one,
2: because I remember you loved the, the 90s stuff that, you know, he's from. Yeah. And and I don't think this is exactly it. <laughs> the thing with Mikhail is like, he's just a vibe. Like it doesn't, he doesn't really make Make a whole lot of sense, his motivations, his powers, even, you know, it's just kind of like he's a, I don't know, a spanner in the works when he's around. He just is, you know, like an X Factor. I'm glad to see some more development there. It's just been a weird art, you know. And and I could have done with a lot more explanation of Mikhail and his motivations and his end goal. Because yeah, I mean, I agree with what you were saying, Steve. Like I don't see how this would logically work. There's no clear winner here with, you know if he had succeeded. Yeah. I would
1: love to talk more about the art on this because I honestly have much more to say about that. I I think the art is, this is an art book that I'm absolutely going to collect. I love to look at it. And a lot of the fun I've had reading the series has honestly just been doing like the Xavier voice when I read it out loud <laughs> and the Mikhail voice. But yes, <laughs> I had a lot of fun reading it out loud. I don't know if I can do a, a good Russian voice, but I had a fun time trying to differentiate Mikhail and Arkady while reading it aloud to Nathan. Yeah, it's really fun. Ar- Arkady's just a little bit more scary. Yeah. Well, and briefly on Omega Red,
0: I do think one of the main things that Percy was hoping to do with this is I think Percy was hoping to cement Omega Red. As a viable character in the Logan mythos. Something we've talked a lot about is exactly what Arturo just said. Omega Red is a vibe. You know, he's, his whole thing is looking scary, And they have seen so much positive response with taking a, I mean, he's just kind of scary. And really developing them into a whole villain across so many of the Marvel lines. And my question for you guys is, did that work with Omega Red? Are you walking out of this saying, Omega Red, legitimate contender in the X-Men universe?
1: For me, absolutely, yes. I think this is building on the stuff that we saw in Age of X-Men, where, for me, Omega Red became an interesting antagonist for maybe the first time, really. Like, I remember him from the 90s. Uh, is a short arc, and it was not really much there, yeah. besides a cool design. Ever since a- Age of X-Men, I've had a renewed interest in him, and I think this series really worked for me in terms of Omega Red getting a real character— Like, I understand him better than I ever did before. He's still, you know, just, like, kind of a serial killer archetype, but he's gotten a lot more depth to him and, honestly, a lot more intelligence to him throughout the series. And, you know, obviously I have the benefit of all of Wolverine and X-Force and the various machinations and him being used by the Krakoans, by Beast, by the Vampire Nation, and all this whole time, all he wants is to kind of be fixed. I mean, he wants to be fixed so he can go on fun killing sprees without worrying about dying, presumably, but it has been nice to see him get agency characterization and a cold, a cold calculating intelligence of his own that makes him stand out a little bit more and feel like this is somebody who could be in Wolverine's rogues gallery as a permanent fixture that does not just exasperate me when he shows up.
2: Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. This is definitely elevated Omega Red. It's done the greatest service to him, I think, as far as like who who been, well, him and Moira.
3: If I had just read X Lives, I would think Omega Red is is far more interesting. But I think over the whole Percy period, like instead of just being a far more interesting character, I think Omega Red's actually become a character who's got got a chance to be a pretty great character if he keeps going the way he's going which is something i never thought i would ever say about omega red absolutely so like that's like a huge win
0: (laughs) i think part of why they used the venom stuff is kind of because omega red acted as a symbiote here as like traveling through time what
1: that is a wow wow. nice thematic yeah i did not even catch that but you're right and that's specifically why it references a
0: time displaced
1: story and
0: so that's I think the whole reason we got the venom kick in, but I'll be really real with you guys. I'm glad he got the carbonadium synthesizer. Terrific. He deserves a physical agency befitting. So, like, I, I'm not here to give murderers a chance to go out and murder, but like, he's been tortured and used and abused, and I'm here for anybody getting out of those situations. Yes.
1: and and I, you don't, know, I don't think he works as a puppet anymore. It's just it, truly, it's no truly played out. It's done. Like, let's let's not have this thing that people can hold over him anymore.
0: But I kind of like him more as like a. A symbiote, like I, I kind of like him more as he Omega
1: Redifies people, and I would love it if it was like a conscious <laughs> it's in the... yeah. It's a shame that this is a Mikhail power and that Mikhail no. Longer...
2: Yeah. He's like you are a product
1: of the Soviet, the old Soviet Russia, and you are not ready for the new Russia. Like, uh, unfortunately, they have to work together to work this out because I would honestly, if if Omega Red could just fucking possess people and make tentacles come out of them all the time, Thank I would you. love that because that's uh, the yeah, best thing same. about the series. It's...
3: The body horror in the series, Mm, amazing. Yeah,
1: at first I was like, how is he doing that? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And by the end of it, I was like, I don't care. This is fucking cool. Give me more.
0: Arturo, how do you feel about Omega Red as sort of a, a symbiote form? Are you Omega Red classic? Are you new Omega Red? Are you Diet Omega Red Zero?
2: <laughs> I like classic Omega Red. I really enjoyed it. This new you know, jumping into people power set that that we saw kind of as like a circuit with Mikhail, let's say. And I enjoyed that, but I'm kind of ready to see what happens next with Omega Red. I don't think he's done being a puppet. I'm sure he will just, I wouldn't mind maybe Seeing him kind of going the route that some other X Men villains have gone um, when they get big enough to start drawing other uh, foes in from other parts of the Marvel Universe or other evil bosses that hire them. So I, I wouldn't mind maybe seeing Omega Red kind of tear his way through the Marvel Universe and fight some other people and maybe become like a bigger villain than just an X Men villain. But I would like, I was very happy to see his coils looking slick and thick again in issue five because those bone coils were fucking terrifying. I had such a love-hate situation with them this entire arc. Absolutely creepy and and great for body horror and definitely invoked a a vibe. But yeah, I'm I'm ready to see our thicker, hotter Omega Red.
0: And Steve, I can't think of any better point to jump to your wanting to talk about the incredible art in this story, which was so definitive of Logan's many eras. Did you want to start talking about the art a bit?
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. (laughs) It's so hard for me to talk about any one thing because i mean we're talking about two issues but also it's just like kasara is just banging them out on every single fucking page you know like there's not a single page in x lives that doesn't look incredible like maybe this one where there's a bunch of like world war ii planes and talking heads but like i don't know it's just the dynamism of it the the way the bones just pop out of people like they're just racking their entire skeleton it is so cool it's gory and bloody i love the I I hesitate to call him the Omega Wolverine because that's a different thing in (laughs) X-Deaths. But when Omega Red possesses Wolverine and there's just these bloody tips of the bone tentacles coming out and his gray face with the Omega on his head, I think that's such a cool fucking look. I was just astonished. I mean, Kassara has... Oh, sorry, yeah, and that was Vicentini on the World War II parts anyway. But Kassara has just been blowing me away since, like, the very first page of X-Force. And he just continues to evolve his style and it it gets cleaner over time, which is not something I necessarily thought would happen. As it goes, it ends up just turning from something that's a little bit muddy and grimy and kind of writhing into something that is sharp and clean, but still vicious looking and gory, and I I've really appreciated it. I hope that Kasara gets any X book he wants to work on, any Avengers book he wants to work on. Pass him around the Marvel universe, get him a Journeyman thing going on. Like, I would love to see Kasara working on titles as diverse as like The Punisher, or like a good Captain America run, or even on Spider-Man. I think I would love to see what he brings to each of those individual kinds of heroes. Can you imagine, like, the McFarlane style webs, but a la Kassara? Oh, wow. For me, like, the art, like, the... I... I
3: didn't know for a story wise that we necessarily needed the venomized Logan, but for the art factor alone, just like looking at it's like just the beautiful detail in it and it's it's a it's a venom Wolverine, but it's not like it doesn't look always like venom Wolverine when we see it and it's just like a really bad like it, it looks distinctly different than actually Wolverine. God damn Joshua Xara does such great horrific art it's amazing like mwah. like the just the little differences between like the uh, the omega versions of the characters you know the the raised faces everything from like the cool tentacles to like, the look of the shock i'm looking at this face where dr cornelius sees the venomized wolverine it's just everything so damn spot on yeah mwah.
1: and uh cassara's facial expression work has gotten so good i think when he first started there was a lot lot of like people don't always talk about this enough but like there was definitely some talk about like the kind of like two faces that were being done at the time which was kind of like a frowning glare and then like the open mouthed like yep. snarl, you know and yeah I think that he has evolved so much in the expression work that he does to the point like a gene in this issue is like I'm looking directly at gene right now and she's just like in an open mouth screen but I have seen such an I don't want to call it an improvement because Kassar always been great but I think that there's been a shift towards more subtle expression changes and and they have been really working for me.
0: Well, I mean, I do think it's improvement, you know, like not like in a knock against any previous work, but as you become practiced, you become more practiced. And over time, I mean, I really think there is a fineness to like the delectable viscera of his work at this point. <laughs> like it is, it is like everything is teeth. It is incredible. And, you know, Arturo, one of the things that's been so interesting for me is seeing the way that people who have been on a lot of these titles since the beginning. And, you know, as you are a resident Black Tom, stand, who, you know, Tom could have shown up in this, wouldn't have bummed me, but, you know, I feel like you've been on X-Force a lot for a really long time. How does it feel comparing this art to some of Kasara's earliest stuff way back when?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, is called a stormbreaker for, for good reason. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible artist and has been, I think, you know, right out of the gate uh, with X-Force 1. That said, I, I agree that this, th- there is like a, a bit of refinement in his style. Um, He's getting better at this he's you can tell he's more comfortable and familiar with the characters like he's really hitting a stride um with the series and yeah i mean every every issue the art's just been a banger there's something very like gnarly about kassara's style that's like it's like a little crunchy even and I kind of struggle with the words like to describe it. Really yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, and visceral, that was that's another good one like he really does something that's distinct as well. He's not trying to, to be anybody else, you know. Even even if you see some poses or there was one scene here that felt almost like an homage. It's in lives. There's one panel where like Wolverine is in the Danger Room, Nightcrawler's in there as well, and it almost looks like a Jim Lee trading card like from the 90s where all the X-Men were in the danger room I don't know if yes
1: yeah,
2: yeah. absolutely and, and it looked like it was like kind of you know pulled from there but still undeniably Kassarified you know it, like the way he does muscles the way he does hair like he does these little details I love the you know imagining Cassara doing like a McFarlane-esque Spidey in the web and oh my god hell yes like he would go off on that.
1: yeah I feel like he would really nail that kind of like organic kind of gross stickiness. We were just looking at the page you were describing, and like literally the page before it, there's this really cool panel that I even just noticed now of uh, Xavier looking down at Logan with his cerebro reflected in Xavier's cerebro and over oh, his nose, and it just it just looks so cool. It's kind of interesting to see Casaro with Martin on colors. Uh, I've gotten so used to Dean White and Guru FX's incredibly painted and layered yeah. color palette. It's something that really drew me to X Force. Is honestly the colors really make that series because there is so much going on. I was sad when we lost Dean White because I thought that incredibly complex color layers were super interesting. Guru FX has been doing a fantastic job as well. But Frank Martin has that different style that is like it's very much bold, solid colors that f- shade out and get hyper saturated. And I think that is a really good fit as well. I would love to see what Marte Gracia and Joshua Cazara can do in the modern era together. I'm not sure how, how well their styles would jive, but I'm here to see it.
0: And I think one of the things that I really love about the idea of seeing different colorists working with the incredible line work that Josh Kassara lays out is you can almost get a slight taste of it when you look at the data page for X Lives of Wolverine where they lay out for you the many different lives of Wolverine as they've kind of vaguely been doing the whole series. We have Logan number 1 is with Captain Benedict Xavier. Logan number 2 is in the American West, Logan number 3 in World War 1 France. Logan number 4 with Lieutenant Brian Xavier in the World War ii Pacific. Logan number 5 is spending time in Japan, while Logan number 6 is with Charles Xavier in Westchester. Logan 7 is with Sabretooth and Xavier via distance uh, in Colombia, while Logan number 8 is with Dr. Abraham Cornelius in Canada with the Weapon X facility. Logan number 9 has that classic Herb Trimp look in the Middle East. And then Logan 10 is in the present on Krakoa. And the sort of fascinating reworking of Logan's features in each one of those facial profiles, I think really expresses just what it is that makes Josh Kasara's line work so unique at this point. There is an agency in each line that helps me understand what Logan is meant to represent. While perhaps the writing wasn't always able to execute a unique Wolverine in each time period, I feel like Kasara did a lot to cement that with the work in Logan's face.
3: Another thing I noticed too, along with not just the different inking styles, there was also a really different color scheme used for every lifetime too.
1: Yeah, that really helps separate them, although maybe not enough for me. I want to point out, you just listed every life in order and I know that you have been doing some obsessive work to figure that out because it was it was like I was going to have to sit down and reread this a couple times to even figure out which life was which and honestly ultimately it doesn't feel like there's much
2: story separating them you know like like hats off to you for even catching that. You were you pointed that out uh, like the last time we covered one of these, and and I was shocked because like in my head, like I have enough trouble keeping the titles apart: X Lives and X Death. Like in my head, I'm just like this is all jumbled into one story. So when it comes to like oh yeah, Wolverine Eight is over here and Wolverine Three is over there. Like in my mind, it's just like okay, here we've got World War II Wolverine, here we've got Western Wolverine. Like I'm not really tracking like which one is which and i think that kind of adds to the bottle episode of it all like the fact that we have a a western wolverine like any time that there is time travel as a trope there's a good chance you're going to end up in the wild wild west right like that happens so that- when i roll into the <laughs> <laughs> i
1: like the i like the meta narrative of like these timelines being jumbled up and hard to tell apart because i know that they are for logan but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier for the reader yep.
2: yeah yeah
0: now, here's the, I think, part that I'd waited till the end to have an opinion on, and it's something that we talked about in the first room, and I'm so excited to get everybody's take on this. But at the end of the day, other than creating a mirror for x Death's inclusion of Moira, I cannot come up with a reason for Xavier to have been the pinnacle focus of x Lives. Yes, yes. thank
1: you, thank you.
0: If I feel like x I'm the only
1: one in the room. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, what with x Lives and x Death as a reflection
0: of House and Power, I guess Xavier and Moira,
1: but otherwise I don't
0: get it. And like, I defend Gene being here because of the to to Logan, but why is Gene here? And I get that it's because it's an event, but why are these two things happening the same night? And I get that it's because it's just like, it's just a little too much. Like this is like, you guys, thank you so much. By the way, I really am. I've been really invested in this crossover. Like, you know, I hug my Wolverine Build-A-Bear sometimes. Like I'm that guy. Logan is my favorite. And like, it's embarrassing, but he's so my favorite. And i I I did a lot of work for this crossover and I'm walking away really proud and really excited and really happy because I don't feel like my time was wasted. But I I am kind of like,
1: but why? (laughs) I do like finally towards the end of this crossover, I like get why they're happening at the same time. That's the thing I can answer. And it's because while Wolverine is going back in time to experience his lives, Omega Wolverine is going back in time to change the past. You know, like it's this it's this shifting. So like while Wolverine is in the past and the future Wolverine is in the present. And I can see that mixing beyond that there's, there's a whole lot of uh, no pricing to be done. (laughs) Like I I can no prize away the Xavier focus in that as much as Mikhail thinks he is the, the new Russia in the future, he's definitely still thinking of Xavier as the be all end all of Western mutant leadership.
2: You know, there's a thing with these crossovers that while you're experiencing them, right you're, you're pouring over every page and every detail and it's sometimes hard to like differentiate between what has happened and what are the theories and what are the possibilities and it, like there's all this excitement and promise and we're not sure where it's going to land and, and all of that and then there's after the event has happened when you can just kind of look back what is your takeaway what is your key memory from this ten of swords had a bunch of great moments but you walk away from it with a couple of ideas right of, of what, what it meant right the hellfire Galaxy that's when we terraformed mars and for me the big headline from this whole x lives and x deaths is moira like that's it like moira going from staunch human ally to retcon mutant slash you know patron saint of of rakoa like the 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 benefactress that that brought us into this promised age and this like hidden away character to now this super compelling villain i mean that that hits like that that for me is it that is is what this whole series was, was about, is bringing her around to that point. But like the Wolverine of it all, even the Mikhail and Omega Red of it all, like that stuff is just going to be like, oh yeah, that's the stuff that was happening while Moira was running around with Banshee on her, on her face.
0: Man, Arturo, your description of X-Lives made me really want to pick up X-Deaths. Man! <laughs> like, <laughs>
3: So, okay, so any comic book, we know that we have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief. All ready to go into a comic book. X-Lives is, is asking me to suspend a lot more than i really think i can in a story there are there are parts of it that i i really love and enjoy I, I do love what the story did for omega red i don't think this story did anything for mikhail but for me to have to suspend disbelief that wolverine is present in all of these times where there's a xavier right nearby that's cool, Cerebro does work that way and can send Logan's consciousness back and somehow Gene can do it but not have Rachel do it and then for some reason everything needs to be so focused around Xavier. There's just a, a lot
1: I have to... There's so many moving yeah. pieces to like fit into the machine to, and they're all lying around the machine on the floor right now and yeah. you the reader are putting them back in and trying to figure out where they go. I agree and I I want to say like I know Percy wanted to do the definitive Logan story it feels weird to say this because the is the narration throughout X lives has been entirely exploring Logan's feelings and thoughts about time and pain and memory and the past uh, the present. there's there's so much going on there I really appreciated the narration it's the plot that has left me cold but I would honestly Great I, point. Th- I yeah. think that the, pre- the preceding Wolverine run is more of a definitive statement on Logan than this is yeah
0: and I think part of that is like some part of this is so close to being like and Earth X of Wolverine and yet it's about things I just completely don't care about. And I think that's part of the problem. If we went places in time I cared about, okay. But we just we just sort of bobbed. We just sort of bobbed through time. And if it was for someone I cared about, okay. But it was for Xavier. And <laughs> if it was against someone I cared about, okay. But it was against Omega Red. And like, if we intersected with historical Logan stuff I cared about, like that time he served with Ben Grimm, but we intersected with Beat Venom. The <laughs> Like, it's not that Ben Percy did not execute a story I enjoy. It's that the story that's here is not necessarily the journey I wanted from what I was promised. And this is something we have talked about a number of times with these crossovers, where I think perhaps other than Inferno, we have all felt your mileage may vary a bit on X of Swords, on uh, any of these smaller crossovers or events like Children of the Atom, where these things get so hyped for so long and then you know when the beat drops it's almost like somebody forgot to put the bass on and it's kind of like boop, 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 boop. And it just doesn't hit.
1: I keep hoping that after the series is fully wrapped up, that I will be able to reread it, look back on it, and understand it a little bit better and enjoy it a little bit more. I know a lot of people had that experience with Ten of Swords. Not me, loved it the whole way through. Just gotta say that. But (laughs) very very much that was the experience for a lot of people reading Ten of Swords, and I'm hoping that I have that kind of experience with Ten of Lives. X Deaths has one more issue to go, and I already liked that series better than this one, but (laughs) I have something to say about that on our next segment. In X-Lives
3: 4, okay, the data page that had had Gene talking to Xavier, like it was towards the end of the issue... Why it was did Jean Grey sound so high in that database? <laughs> like Xavier's just asking a simple question, and she's like, "Oh yeah, oh seriously, yeah, yeah." She's like, "It's like it's like a butterfly wings." And then they're going to get coffee, and then
1: like- and then a man walks across the street, but he's he's forgotten to eat his soup before he left the house, and it's getting cold. And I I just when we were reading that out loud together, I was just like Xavier should just interject and be like Gene, what the hell are you like high right now? A, like you didn't all right, it didn't need all that like that it was it was frankly bizarre it's just like hey so you know the butterfly effect and that could have been the end of that data page
2: <laughs> she'd be like yeah i've seen that movie no no no, yeah like we could have done with like about half of that dialogue maybe even less like it was it, it just kept going and going and then charles replies with precisely like come on yeah <laughs> i like I, I i
1: always hate to call somebody i always hate to call a writer that i re- like and respect indulgent but th- that was indulgent yeah
0: well especially because it was some of the only dialogue we got from a woman's perspective in all of X Live. Thank you. And that that, it, it, that, it, it, that was really, made me itchy. Like, you know, Jean Grey was here in a functional perspective. Like, she didn't really play Logan's love interest. Like, and I'm, obviously, if anybody's heard my coverage of Life of Wolverine, I am vaguely effusive over that series. <laughs> and even then, it wasn't until part nine when I'm reminded that it was all being narrated by Jean Grey the whole time that I remembered it was narrated by Jean Grey the whole time.
1: Thank you, and it's important to note that the only women in this series are Logan's love interests and then, like, Sage for a few seconds at the end. That is... That is typical of Wolverine stories, but uh, it is exhausting at this point.
0: And especially because Wolverine has so many women built into his universe that aren't love interests. Oh my God, yeah. Like like he's got such a wealth of, like I I hesitate to put her in anything she doesn't belong in because right now Rogue has enough problems not appearing in X-Men. But I feel (laughs) like if Rogue has the ability to absorb abilities, Rogue was ripe for this story with Omega Red and the ability to absorb powers for time travel. You know, Rogue and Rachel have a great relationship. They could have worked in tandem. You know, that would have been a, a small way to elevate the idea of the women in Logan's life that serve no romantic partnering, but rather serve a a reminder that he is a member of a community. And that would have been kind of cool to see.
3: It would have been cool to see some like, flashback memory to like a time where Logan's traveling with uh, Jubilee and Betsy. Or
1: Black Widow. Or
3: Black Widow, you know, something
1: something, or something. Yukio.
3: Uh, they were love interests, so. Uh,
1: yeah, but yeah. it shouldn't have to be. Okay, yeah. Yukio can do what she wants.
3: Okay, <laughs> Yukio, can do, Yukio can show up anywhere. It would be cool to see Logan interact with these women who he wasn't sleeping with, you know, In Jean Grey.
1: (laughs) I'm just sorry. I'm just remembering that scene where it's, it's like, just a few minutes
3: more, Jean. It's obviously very focused around Logan because that's what the story is. But, you know, it, Jean Grey doesn't doesn't have really any agency
1: and doesn't do much in this. I like their relationship less and less as time goes on, but that's another thing. Yeah, but,
0: but like, and I think part of it has to do with this this cowboy perspective, right? You know, one of the things that, like, love it or hate it, things have definitions. And I'm here to say, you know, set the definition on fire. It's fine. But one of those things is like a romance story technically ends when the characters get together. And so, fine that was the definition that was used for a thousand years so we've developed so many tropes that have so many stupid romance flaws because that was the definition of what made the romance of a story work a romance ends when the characters get together so all of these male heroes have all of this have to resist the ideas of romance built into their character so Logan through the eyes of Ben Percy often feels like um, a a very American interpret modern American interpretation of a cowboy and he is very resistant to love in a way that sometimes frequently often all the time makes him seem like an abusive dickhead and I never know what to do with that
1: uh, yeah I mean I personally hate it like I like Percy's Logan a lot I don't like seeing him in- interact with Gene anymore because he is like so shitty to her and she just goes like Oh, I guess that's how he is. I'll come back later. And there's like a weird flip where it used to be like Logan pining after Gene and Gene being like, I'm not really into it. I know you think I'm hot. Like, I think you're kind of sexy. But like Logan was like, Gene. But there's been a flip somehow where it is very one-sided and it is Gene is always taking care of and looking after and seeking after Logan. But Logan doesn't seem to actually like
2: care about her. I don't, wait, what? Why are you, why do you feel that he doesn't care about her? I feel like there becoming more and more clearly identifiable as a couple, although she is canonically still married to Cyclops. One of the most recent
1: experiences that they even had together was that karaoke jam where she asked him... The, to, the microaggressions mm-hmm. at the karaoke. Yeah. yeah, he just goes I'd rather, like, drink a bucket of piss and nails or something like that. It's extremely rude. His interactions with her in the Wolverine series are not what I would consider like, caring or loving. They're, they're this, like, hyper-masculine ideal of, like, what a man has to be and then the woman is in his life kind of for him, you know? Like, when's the last time Logan did something to make Gene happy?
0: Yeah, if you're gonna trade on their love as an element of his character and a visual you can point back to, then I sort of insist that you do the work to properly show it because, like, as a as a person in a poly relationship, I don't think it's cute that every time Logan's an ass, Gene is kind of like, I'll come back later. And, like, it's got the guy you go to when Logan's a dick? Like, that doesn't play attractively. The optics on it are just kind of funny and I am eager to see a stronger sense of Logan going forward in his future run. Hey everybody, Nico here again. And everybody has their, you know, personal favorite, like, moment of a crossover that even if it's not, like, the big battle, you know, even if it's not the Thousand Heartless Battle in Kingdom Hearts 2, you've still got, like, a favorite moment, like when Pain shows up from 10-2, you know what I mean? So, for me, Life of Wolverine has somehow been one of the most magical parts of this already pretty powerful crossover, and I don't think it's necessarily reflective of disinterest or disconnect from the main narrative, but rather the way Ben Percy has so carefully constructed a world of Wolverine for me to interact with has led to me wanting to spend time in his past in really concrete ways I feel like one of the best things about chapter nine a better path by the incredible team once again of Jim Zub, Ramon Box Hava Tartaglia and VCs Joe Sabino on writing art color art and letters is like right away from that claw and the color scheme you know you're not dealing with sort of a past Wolverine anymore you know you're at least somewhere around X men Wolverine, and absolutely, it was set up in the previous issue that that's where we're going to be, but I think for so many of us, our Wolverine does at least involve the X-Men in some way, so this is like an exciting full circle moment, and while it's the ultimate issue, it does feel like we're at the point where like this could end and it feels okay, I don't feel like I'm getting lost somewhere in the past, and it's been really interesting seeing how life of Wolverine has allowed us to interact with things that appeared in X-Lives and X-Deaths, whether it's was the brief Romulus appearance or the mention of Venom there have been a lot of opportunities for this narrative to connect with other elements of the multifaceted storytelling approach they're taking so it's been exciting and so I've maybe started to read these with a little bit more focus on that but I'm at the point where I don't know that in what we're covering in Life of Wolverine there can exactly be that direct a showcase of effect for instance this issue mostly focuses on Logan's a very well documented time on the X-Men and it goes somewhat from like Dark Phoenix Saga, the burial of Jean Grey, the courtship of Mariko, and like the joining of Rogue, Kitty Pride into the Kitty Pride and Wolverine versus Ogun kind of era, and then we're at 205, we're at Lady Deathstrike, <laughs> which I know I mention it a lot, but you know, one of the ways in which Wolverine and Daredevil are uniquely related is Lady Deathstrike actually appears first in the pages of Daredevil before she's Lady Deathstrike, so it's A little interesting there that she originally appears as Yoriko Ayama in, I think it's Daredevil, like 197 to 200. It's when Bullseye is going to Japan to get an adamantium skeleton. And we get a mention of the fall of the mutants. And one of the things that's so fascinating about the mention of the fall of the mutants is it sort of skips over a bunch of people who are pretty significant in it that are significant to now. Something we've commented on in the pages of X-Men Legends is that it feels like a lot of the big name classic writers are getting an opportunity to return turn to characters that maybe they made famous or that they just aren't done with yet and no reason for them to be. And so we're seeing Fabian Nicieza touch back in on Mr. Sinister, who's certainly taken on new life in this sort of, you know, weird, queer jester kind of character that he's taken on who is also like a psychotic science megalomaniac. And, you know, seeing Fabian Nicieza get to play with that still in X-Men Legends was really cool. Same thing with Claremont over in the pages of X-Men Legends 12, where he got to work with Destiny. So, this is a moment with Forge, who has a big moment in X Deaths 4. And theoretically, this actually, you know, if you read Fall of the Mutants, there's a lot of mystique in it, there's a lot of destiny in it, there's a lot of emotional beats for Rogue, Rogue, who's mentioned throughout this. I guess it just has to be a matter of page time, but it's maybe the first self disservice I've noticed where Life of Wolverine has been sort of the shining gem in this crossover, just sort of under the radar, just building on so many of the beautiful themes that Ben Percy has been laying out across his dual narrative that this is the first thing where I'm like oh you probably could have hyped yourself a little bit harder with this and your importance you know through mystique and destiny and this being forge and it's forge accessing his magic of course forge accessing his magic has come up a number of times on the show recently so maybe that is going somewhere I do love so many of the visual tricks that Ramon box is able to do throughout the series with the claws coming down or the silhouette of Logan where it says the x-men are just too stubborn to stay dead I also then see the cut to the patch era of wolverine i love patch and madripoor it's well documented there is an upcoming patch miniseries that starts the same week as x deaths finishes which you know really should be in two days from now so it feels like this might even be kind of like a setup for that this is that you know referential thing where we're talking about how one line or one title helps influence another title and helps build on it and there's so many great stark visuals throughout this issue and i think again just because this is such a well-documented time for logan It's hard to have something new to say about it. And that's, I think, part of where Logan being such a well-documented character is so tricky because certain eras, like we've said, have been documented to death, but there's other eras that are clearly still pretty nebulous to his timeline. So all said and done, with both series sitting on their penultimate issues, with Life of Wolverine being at number nine, with X-Deaths of Wolverine sitting at number four. We've just finished X-Lives. We have Life 10 and we have x deaths five left to go i'm really fascinated by the dynamic decisions that were made here to look back on logan and his many parts while i'm sure there are lots of elements that could have definitely been hyped more you know we just did that ridiculous punisher ghostwriter coverage that i loved so much <laughs> or a number of the electra bits we've been doing lately and i kind of feel like none of the electra punisher ghostwriter elements that wolverine had going for him throughout the 90s got referenced but you know we did see other obscure things so i do feel like this was a really fascinating experiment and i think if every crossover event got some sort of supportive infinity comic i would be a very grateful reader and i hope that the final issue does cover things probably up through wolverine number it's kind of i don't know like do i want it to cover having the adamantium ripped out uh, probably i guess you know that would be a pretty big leap forward but you know i think that would get us to the Electra stuff and the Punisher stuff and the Ghost Rider stuff that I was just saying is like the one thing that I could stand to see because this leaves us somewhere around 1990 and the stuff I'm thinking of is a little bit more, you know, 93 to 95. So I'm I'm really excited about the final issue of both series. I think I have a lot of, I have a lot of opinions on the arc this took Moira on and with X-Deaths number four having some pretty dark, garish moments for, I mean, like let's just call it what it was. You know, Moira was Mui Gauche. It was terrible. And, the thing about it is her first appearance we called her machine gun moira if you go back to the first episode of x's for podcast we talk about how she just kicks open a door and she's like my mutant power is this machine gun like she's a really intense woman from day one and i talked about how in x lives number four and five i feel like omega red finally comes due as a legitimate threat villain for logan in a meaningful way that is compelling and i feel like at the same time i can kind of say the same thing about moira she's becoming a compelling Villain for the X-Men in a really meaningful way. Just didn't see it happening in the pages of Wolverine. But that really does kind of come due on the promise of powers of ten. This isn't out of nowhere. This isn't something that like wasn't seated in Hickman's vision with having Moira and Wolverine in that final sequence together. So I really might not love every element of the direction, but I'm certainly here to finish the ride, and I'm very excited for what the team has put together for us for Life 10 and and X-Deaths number 5. We hope you guys enjoy our coverage here of X-Deaths number 4, and we hope you guys come back every week for all three episodes, usually a Magic Monday and X-Men X-Wednesdays and a Marvel Fanfare Fridays. Until then, I'm Nico Action. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NICACTION. Enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those cocoan gateways open. Remember, this crossover is finally almost over. And see you on Wednesday for an X-Men X-Wednesday. I do plan on saying justice for Banshee after I say my name. Uh, oh, did everybody have a chance to read that amazing St. Patrick's Day story? I, no. What what do you mean? X-Men Unlimited did an amazing St. Patrick's Day story with No. Banshee, Tom, and Siren, where they all reconcile, and now Tom and Sean are like friends, and Siren has given forgiveness to each of them. Like Tom is like, you know, I didn't just steal her. I thought I was giving her a father, and he's got like he's got like purple and pink flowers in his hair the entire time.
1: Happy to hear, I can't
0: read it. I I covered it for like five ten minutes, and I like I actually cried during my coverage of it, and I put up that it was my ex pick of the week.
1: Thank you so much for telling me about it because I can't. I, you know I love Tom. You know I love Sean and like St. Patrick's Day is a big day for me. I am so excited. It was qu- it's like X Men Unlimited twenty six. It is it is maybe the best
0: ten minutes of your week. So uh if you're a Justice for Banshee kind of motherfucker, then it's it's for you. Hell yeah. Okay. I gotta check it out. I gotta uh, read it. Oh, it's so cute. Hey everybody. <clears throat> What's what the hell is the name of the show again? Okay. <clears throat> hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and time traveling murderers, I guess. I don't know. But either way, I'm Nico and you guys can find me snicking through time over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, justice for Banshee.
2: (laughs) Mi gente, what's up? I'm Arturo. Ya tu sabe. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And I am more concerned with Justice for Forge.
1: Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A, and I want some minor justice for Destiny. She she got a little handled in this one. Ooh, she did, didn't she? Hey, everybody,
3: it's Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. That's Dazzler, like in the Age of Apocalypse, and I, I hope you all have survived this experience, unlike... Our old Moira, who I can't reconcile with any of this, and who's tearing the skin off of her ex. What? Okay, that definitely means we are
0: here to talk about what is you know I I believe I said X Deaths of Wolverine number three was so far my pick of 2022, and I believe I have to follow that up with X Deaths number four is a a marked departure from the things I loved about <laughs> number three. It's written by Benjamin Percy with art by Federico Vincenti, who you. Might recognize did some of the work over on X Lives in the World War II segment of issue four. Dijo Lima brings some unfucking forgettable colors in this breathtaking color masterpiece. Really, the colors stole the show for me, the whole issue. And Corey Pettit came in and did some amazing letters. Now, okay, before anything else, I want to start out with I by no means think this is like the worst issue in the world or anything, but there were there were a lot of choices here. And before we even sink our teeth into X-Deaths number four. How are you guys feeling about one through three leading into this?
1: I have been really loving the series. It has been the standout of the X-Lives and X-Deaths compendium so far. X-Deaths have been super cool. I've fallen in love with Vicentini's work. And like you said, Dijolima is doing astonishing things with the color work. And I love, love, love that we're picking up on the failing story and the end of Pox.
3: I was super excited. I think like, this is going to be a Wolverine event. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then we're going to read X-Desk number one, and I'm like, holy fuck, it's a Moira McTaggart story, and it's going to continue the Destiny and Mystique story. I'm like, yes. But 3 took a, a turn that I didn't necessarily love, but like... It still was not as marked of a jump <laughs> as this current issue.
2: I mean, I I'm loving this series. I think this was this whole thing has been so unexpected that Percy picked up right out of Inferno. So I'm happy to see it. You know, sometimes surprises are not pleasant. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe not what you what you wanted. But what we're getting is a cold hard villain Moira McTaggart era. And, you know, I mean, can you reconcile that with the moira of the past i i think so i mean Moira's done some questionable things in in her history but i'm less concerned about with reconciling it and i'm more just celebrating that we have a hardcore antagonist for for Krakoa, that that it runs deep it's not just you know your your run-of-the-mill hate and fear things that you don't understand humans you know racism it's moira mctaggart like staunch ally patron saint of rakoa queen of retcons and now you know budding phalanx sentinel terrorist
3: all this has got me thinking is somebody needs to rename that hospital now because yeah
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: like woo! I, I have had some like it's not reconciling moira with who she was pre-hickman it's i have trouble reconciling this with even the Moira in Inferno. I feel like... Yeah, I don't know who this was in November. There was a lot of subtle, nuanced and complicated reasons why Moira did what she did and became an antagonist to the X-Men and to the Mutants. And I really appreciated that work. This series has flattened Moira into a one-dimensional cartoon villain in some ways. She is insanely petty. She is wrapped up in the idea that they hurt her, so they now have to go extinct. It is happening too quickly and with too little justification for me to buy it at this point especially that she became leather face in this issue to the man she loved most in past comics i i wanted to vomit when i read that
2: okay page. okay but the the data page the the black data page interestingly enough because all of our data pages i think ever have been white data pages yep. so yes. that was that was a choice and i think it really kind of speaks to where where moira is now people always talk about the future as as if it's bright promising limitless because people whether human or mutant are in denial of their mortal coil the only thing you can count on is the last gulp of air you took into your lungs and whatever you're holding in your hand if there's one certainty to the arc of the universe it's this the future is death and like the fact that she has fixated on this that 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 is what she has learned from all these lives they they end in death and she's come to this uh unless we escape physics unless we escape biology unless consciousness is not yoked to the physical world that we will fall to ruin. I'm talking about a digital cerebrum, the brain net, the potentiality of the phalanx. Therein lies the ultimate power of immortality. I think this makes sense for her. Like because she had become a functional immortal and they've taken that from her regaining that in some way makes sense as a goal. But I can buy her uh, becoming like a head of Orcus. I can buy her
1: siding with the phalanx. Ultimately what is much, more difficult to me is that she she's willing to view her past relationships, her most important relationships, as nothing but tools along that way to the point where she is not even recognizable as as a human anymore, as as a person, you know. Yeah, this
0: is she's an algorithm now. Yep. And yeah. it's it's been kind of haunting me in that regard. I completely am with you because I feel like we've seen a lot of characters go from the beginning of time to the end of time and in the last couple of years, and not everybody goes so I don't know. She's like a weird ripoff of Dr. Manhattan. So, like, Dr. Hoboken, (laughs) I don't know. So, I feel like not everybody goes to this extreme of, well, I guess now I've got to kill them all. Like, you know, it's this isn't like assassination Pokemon. And she is just really giving into, I've seen the end of time. So now everybody has to die. And, like, I don't know, when Wolverine sees the end of time, he decides only his family has to die and it's only mercy killings. Like, there's just something about this is like, it's almost like bizarro, Moira. And she am good, bad. She am here to good kill Krakoa. Like, it is so confusing to me.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah obviously, I can't reconcile this Moira with the Moira that I loved, like in Excalibur 91 where they all went to the bar or whatever. Like, I can get past that. I can get past that this is not the same character anymore, but I have a hard time reconciling that this is even the Moira that, on her current life, when we find out about it in Hoxbox, she's like, it's nail Dream if it's real, Charles. You know, like, how does, how does she get from that in this short amount of time to where she is now? Which, yeah, it's probably like 30 years our time, but still like in her lifetime for her to have changed from that to this
1: like moira raised rain she's had compassion and she's yeah. been a loving person and she had a long relationship with sean and for sean just finding out that she is not dead his great love uh after all this time and the first thing she does is just use him for his she skins him alive and and uses it to enter Krakoa, and it's just—it's so cartoonishly evil. It is evil. It is not even like justified. Like, oh well, you know, they did this to me, so I'm being practical. It is like out and out. Like, I did this because I love the idea of skinning somebody. I Frank can castle with... would be
0: like, girl, you got some issues. You need to work.
1: <laughs> I could see Moira cutting off her own arm uh, in in a in a serious situation because this is a hard as nails badass who has lived a thousand years but like man that is something that like that is like dr doom at his worst you know and is it is just
2: beyond you gotta just you just gotta look at it through the lens of like it's camp right like she's just gone so villain that it's it gets campy like i wasn't ready for that <laughs> yeah i could
1: look at it as camp but man this it, is just—it's it's savage. Huge. It's savage,
2: no. but the the canonical or you know the the written you know explanation is my life is no longer disposable, but theirs are, and that kind of yeah. takes away the sting of seeing you know Sean Cassidy skinned alive is well, yeah, they'll they'll resurrect him, you know, they'll they'll find his body and and fix him right up. It'll be okay. It doesn't make this any less horrific, but you know it it does feel less worrisome. You know, it's
1: the it's the psychological trauma for me.
2: Like I, the physical yeah. trauma,
1: yes, is incredible and. Of course they can resurrect him, but like, will will Sean ever come back from that? Like, I don't think I ever would. Like, I mean, he was so excited to find out that she was alive and to learn all these things. He was willing to help her out. Like it's just, wow. It's so much. And it's, that's not even the only thing in this issue, but it's, I was talking to Nate about this in the car ride home from St. Louis, and it was just like, this reminds me a lot of the Kang series that recently came out in that that series has so much potential for telling a story about somebody becoming the person that they hated growing up, the person who raised them, you know, that it's a, the most classic Kang story possible is becoming the same person that you are that you hate. But that series did the same thing that I think this series did, which is take five issues to tell a story that needed at least 12 issues to breathe and to be believable. And And it just feels so rushed. It feels like so much development is happening off page. And it feels like something that is so complicated is being flattened out and flanderized, really. All for the the sake of quickly getting to cackling evil Moira. Yeah, I don't know. This issue did not work for me uh, as much as I loved a lot of the stuff going on in it.
3: Yeah, she went from Fugitive on the Run to like board queen Cameron Hodge
1: what Cameron Hodge is a good is a good point of reference yeah. here because Cameron Hodge is a villain with like no complexity no depth and I feel like that's where Moira is now she's had a lot of depth she's had a lot of complexity and I'm hoping that the next issue will recover some of that but whew.
3: and and like her weird fixation on blaming this all on destiny coming back like destiny really didn't have very much to do with her downfall in Inferno, like she did, but like it, she wasn't the driving factor, it was like Emma and
1: Raven who were really the driving factors of the it Just it it's, I, I don't get it the, the mutants are devils now thing is like, like she has to understand why they don't want to be cured why they don't want to be erased why they don't want to be the victims of a genocide she has to understand that and at a certain point it feels like she's justified to herself her own actions by just saying like, oh, well, they cast me out of paradise. She's falling into this like very paradise lost Christian mythology kind of deal with it. And it doesn't seem as considered as somebody who's lived a thousand years, I expect. I think part of it has to do with the way we interact with forgiveness about bad
0: things, right? Jean Grey ate a planet and we're just sort of like, well, she did that. We got to overlook it because there's no dealing with it. She ate a fucking planet and we move past it and people create alternate realities and trap people in them all the time. And we're just kind of like, happens. Xavier turns into onslaught and we're like, not even the worst thing he did in the nineties, right? We forgive Magneto. And, you know, we've talked about this a bit where like Magneto gets forgiveness in part because because. Because of the real world implications, and what's so fucking funny to me is, I'm kind of like, look, if Moira told me tomorrow that she went, you know, time sick from being reincarnated so much, and she never meant to hurt the mutants, I could probably forgive her. But like the Sean thing, I'm like, that's a bridge too far. I think you, I
1: think you kind of nailed it there because we'll forgive, we'll forgive Jean because she's being possessed by a cosmic entity of death and rebirth. But like Moira is just Moira here.
3: Yeah, (laughs) the only worst thing that Moira could have done is if she had skinned Rain instead.
0: Hey, there's Light. still another whole issue. There's still a whole issue to skin a dog. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's actually one of the things that's so interesting, right? I recommend everyone go out and read X-Men Unlimited 26, the special St. Paddy's Day story. It's a lovely story. And one of the things he says in it is, yeah, it was probably really hard to be in a consistent emotional relationship when I'm dead so frequently. And like, he is so frequently fucking maligned that I wonder if one of the things they thought we would just think is like, oh, well, he just got second Genesis again, I guess. Like,
1: yeah. You know who is really great in this issue? I just want to say Forge.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Points for Forge. Forge is awesome. I love that we get this felt to me a little bit X-Men, the animated series.
3: That Bishop and Forge stuff. Yeah, totally.
2: Oh, that's a good, that's a good parallel. Yes, and Forge like sends Bishop back, and like that whole story arc of like, and we've seen Forge kind of make it to the end in in their stories. So I love that. I love that little like callback. What freaked me the f out with Forge was Moira turning his own weapon on him.
1: Yeah. That was a good turn actually. Yeah, but they could resurrect
3: him or cru- or crucible him if they still do it. They, like... could,
1: they could resurrect him, they could crucible him, they get his powers back. But honestly, I like I for everything else Moira did in this issue, I felt like it was a little bit of justice for Forge to get his weapon turned on him. Like maybe that'll fucking teach you to oh, stop making sure. this goddamn thing.
2: For sure, for sure. And we could do with like a story arc of him like depowered and I mean, hell, that's the best character development that happened with Storm happened when she was depowered.
0: One of the things that is so weird about Forge getting depowered here is we've seen him in three other titles where he's very specifically mystical. And it makes me wonder if that's the avenue he's going.
3: Ooh. I would love to see that side of him. Oh, if this if that's the, what this brings out of this, I, I'm all I'm all down for that. I'm like, I'm on board.
1: I know Forge has a complicated relationship with his heritage and with his mystical connections, but I you know what? If if for some reason he doesn't decide to immediately go to through the crucible or go through the afterlife orchard, then I am here for seeing him kind of explore something new.
3: Yeah, and okay, so the weird thing that I had with with the tech too is, like, we know over in X-Men that he's been building these other Captain Krakoa suits to, you know, help protect nation, like, you know, citizens, non-combat-ready citizens of Krakoa. Why would she, why would Moira McTaggart grab the weird bug-looking one instead of, like, grab
1: a Captain Krakoa suit? Well, it is a war machine, and she you may not know about that suit. Oh, She's been kind
0: of busy. She so I think the other major factor of this story that definitely is called to mind, and I'm so glad you brought up Captain Krakoa, because that is kind of a great segue. Why is it the Logan fam? Other than it's it's the Logan crossover. And you guys know that I'm here for the Logan crossover. But why is it the Logan fam? Why is Gabby in this? Why isn't it the Treehouse X-Men, who are the event team? Or why isn't it other other psychics who would be able to help. Instead it's a bunch of physical fighters against something that can infect physically just all chopping at each other. And yeah. I don't know why that's the best use of these characters in this construction.
2: Well, because you can't solve a, par- a problem like Moira with six claws, but if you get 20 claws... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I included the foot claws in that. It's just um, a question of how many claws? Uh, honestly, I'm just... I'm I'm just happy that in a Wolverine-centric story, we have other characters. I'm happy that we we have a female character in this. I think it's, you know, the answer to why is because those are the loved ones that Wolverine, you know, sought out. Maybe those were the ones that would believe him and and see him for who he is. One of my issues, one of my my problems with some of Percy's approach has always been it gets too Wolverine-focused, right? Like, okay, we're fighting the vampire nation. Why is this a one-man mission when you have eight mutants that you know with solar powers or whatever that should be able to make short work of these yes fires like Thank you. teamwork we have Krakoa we got a deep bench like you don't need to be sending Wolverine out to do everything yeah could there have been a better team and and other powers to tackle this sure but at least it's not just Wolverine is my yep. uh, take and uh, ultimately
1: I so I mean I mean the whole reason that the Wolverine family are involved is because Xavier went to them and it was like we think Wolverine is out there we'd like you to go you know him best you know and that's the story justification for it but the real reason is because this is a wolverine book and we need to have the other wolverines and i honestly am grateful enough for that that i don't need to look any further this is one of those moments where i'm like i don't really there yes there are other mutants who could have done better and would have done better but if we're going to do a definitive wolverine storyline i am extremely grateful to have the entire wolverine family here it made
3: this story yes feel like more of a wolverine story and i and that was necessary, but it's hard for me to suspend the disbelief that, like, you wouldn't like cool, you would have Laura there, maybe have Gabby, maybe a Dakin, but like, why wouldn't you also have like Storm Magneto. and yeah, like Storm? Yeah. Cool, yeah, you can't have Gene in the story because she's busy over in X Lives and so is Xavier, Xavier, but like, why just Wolverines? Why not others on top of Wolverine?
1: Hey, this story is already jam packed as it is. I don't know how many characters it could possibly it is. support, but
3: and like, who in like so weird trying to see everything reconciled with like you're you're right there's way too many characters as it is so if you add more characters because you already got Moira you've already got Mystique and Destiny you've already got the Snicked family like
1: (laughs) it's funny how Magneto could definitely just end all this he probably could like just like he's a phalanx like made of metal
3: or or why wouldn't you have like why wouldn't you bring Doug and Warlock in once you knew that it was a phalanx Wolverine that you were after like there's a lot of different places you could have gone
0: other than the trial of Magneto I'm really hard pressed to come up with a thing that the x factor team isn't too op to stop so and i just they couldn't figure out how to stop trial of magneto so what happened you know what i mean but like i i just really uh yeah i'm with you steve a million percent because i love my snicked family that's where i'm at you know what i mean on a saturday night big orange couch but i feel like at the same time there is some if this really is a time-traveled phalanx super mega evolved omega wolverine that i need like a million action figures of, really. If it is that, though... That would not, make it action figure. Right? But if it is that, we need, like, ten times the firepower to take it down. Otherwise, I think we're accidentally falling into the same trap that we all discussed on our coverage of X-Lives 4 and 5, where I think it
1: winds up feeling really tiny potatoes. And I want these to be big potatoes. I want some big potatoes. Speaking of big potatoes, though, uh, if in fact the series wants to make it up to me with the incredibly violent, stomach-turning honestly offensive treatment of sean cassidy in here then they could give me an action figure of a skinless banshee oh yeah sick man if that came in the legends packaging i would be here for it i will take that figure though give me a moira figure with a banshee cape (laughs) (laughs) oh that fucking sucked and i want i want something out of it
3: oh no blonde moira with just like with the like a head swap Oh, no. no
2: I don't want a head swap I want like a little plastic face mask that I could put on and oh um, yeah so, like
0: when they used to come with the figures that like uh, the mask was like a ring you could put on
2: <laughs> yeah and, and like and, and there's just holes for the eyes so you see like Moira's eyes through it yes. oh sick
3: she was surprisingly not bloody enough when she took the, like how long did she let his face dry before she went to like put on his face and body
2: because tr- she was not <laughs> well, bloody enough she, she, I'm you, time I'm, was not on her side. The issue was in a rush.
1: Can we also talk about how Krakoa does not yet have something fucking in place for people taking a part of mutant skin to break into Krakoa? I mean, they did it with Domino in the first issue of X-Force. How is that, How has that hole not been plugged in the security? Beast has a lot to answer for here. This issue was repugnant. I know Wancho was turned off so much that I don't even know if he'll finish the series, but I, I had a very visceral reaction to it, and it only got worse as time went on towards the end of the issue, but... Moira getting killed. Very interesting to me. I had almost forgotten that she had just completed work with Arnab Chakladar on uploading her mind to the AI, so I know she's going to come back as a fully AI being. I'm sure that's going to happen. She's a synth now. Like, yeah,
2: yeah, I think uh, that, that might be like the theory right there is that, that one we'll see her come back and more furious than ever. You think she's been petty now, honey? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, like, a <laughs> really good way to put that.
1: I mean, I'm sure that she'll make a fun villain in the future. You know, it's just like oh man, there could have been a lot of work done to get to here, and there just wasn't. And I don't think you could do it in five issues, but choices were made, and that's what happened, you know? Yeah.
0: And I, I think that's the nature of the way the X office held the pieces. Because Jonathan Hickman was very hands-on about his stories, and this isn't, this is certainly not a knock. This is just sort of a guy has that has said, I am very controlling of my story elements. And so that meant that Moira was off the board for such a long time that nothing could happen on scene and everything had to be as sort of imagining a response so then when we finally get here and we're seeing so much happen at once you know there's there's been some weird trade-offs I love her and she's one of my favorite characters in the universe but what the fuck was Jane doing here like I, what the fuck was Valkyrie ultimately doing here Mystique yeah. kind of hasn't played a big weird. role
3: like so- the, Jane, the Jane inclusion like had me venom. thinking it was going to be like turned to a different way than it was Because like you include Valkyrie you think somehow it's going to to, like turn into like some kind of in like weird conflict with you know life and death itself but like just to just to call up she's a doctor hey cool i like people like remembering that jane exists and she's a doctor but like yeah. it's just weird
1: it is uh it is very much like the venom appearance in x lives where it's like what eh, what's happening here why is this like disembodied rihanna interpolation over this part of the kanye song i don't understand what's happening
2: here i, I think it's just kind of maybe an attempt to be bigger than and just x-men and Krakoa, right like it's it's like a just a look we are part of this broader universe i agree i mean it was not necessary like the doctor literally could have been anybody i thought that was kind of a cool inclusion even if it had little point and and no follow-up a lot more so than the venom bit in in lives which i was just like what like that just took me that i know you guys pointed out that was a deep hole that to me was just such a like i wasn't familiar with that the venom thing or you know whatever so for for me it just completely took me out of the story i was like what the fuck is going on i agree valkyrie uh, J- J- was, was yeah jane was less you know disorienting and more oh cool there she is like you guys were so happy to see her there
1: i was very happy to see her there and honestly like yeah i, I don't have a problem with that conclusion at all i was very un- i was under the impression that it made no sense at the time but nico has since corrected me and i like i understand now uh why she would be familiar with the problems affecting moira and i do think it's cool to see say like this is a large story and it has a large scope it has a much larger scope somehow than x lives even does and that helps it make it more a part of the universe and also i like that ben percy made in this case a good choice because of the lack of women and others in x lives i like that he made the choice to go to a doctor and it was jane foster rather than like i don't know some other male doctor or other superhero that could have been like Stephen strange or goes to Stephen strange set before the events of death of
0: Stephen strange yeah
1: (laughs) yeah well i mean surgeon supreme but there's so much I like about this series. I've infinitely liked it more than X-Lives. I've been along for the ride, and there's so much more that's going on in this issue than even just Moira. I just think that colored the issue for me, but I do want to give special attention to the fight with Arnab Chocoladar with the Wolverine family, because we got to see a lot more of them and their fighting style, and I really liked the whole, like, this Omega Wolverine is not here to kill Chocoladar, even though he has just committed great sins against Mutantkind and done Orcus's work for them. Like, he's just here To stop the problem. And I, I, let's, can we talk about like how he got infected by Moira with the Phalanx, seemingly?
0: Yeah. I mean, does anybody have thoughts on that? I think it kind of, I think one of the things that we see a lot is when a writer is put into a situation like somebody said to Ben Percy, dude, if you think about it, you're following up Inferno, and Inferno is in so many ways, you know, the response to House and Powers. You're kind of doing a follow up to House and Powers. And we had a lot riding on that download from Moira in the House and Powers story in the future where she had to get the information and they had to get it to her and I wonder if that was meant to mirror that where you know Logan had to inject her so now she's injecting him so I think it was meant to be a a dynamic parallel but it's one of those instances where if it weren't for the sake of the art I don't know that that would be the best story beat yeah
1: I like it a lot I think it's really interesting and I, I especially really like the whole like Forge created a seed that can go back in time through Krakoa. Like, I definitely thought that was was happening. I love to see it happen. I love seeing Forge find newer and cooler ways to do things. I do question whether or not Forge had to actually stab Wolverine in the fucking eye. <laughs> I, I feel like he just kind of like was like, yeah, this will be really metal. <laughs> but the whole Moira
3: Phalanx thing almost just seemed like it was just specifically drawn to have some really cool art. It really didn't. I, yeah. I don't know that it really furthered the story to a point that we needed that inclusion except for just like, wow, this is
1: really rad looking. Yeah, some really good Dijolima coloring. I love the the black silhouette of Moira and all you can see is those like blindingly yellow circuits all over her body. Just incredible.
3: I do like how we get to see the stark difference though between where before in the preserve it was Moira and Logan and there were some other humans in there but it seems like just in the preserve now it's just been Logan
1: yeah, in there. The last mutant alive. And he didn't even know Moira was still alive, but hello. So, with so little time left and
0: so many open ideas, I find myself a little hard pressed to believe that we can, in some meaningful way, conclude all of these storylines in 32 pages. I have to assume some of this is going to bear weight into the future of the line, perhaps either the Hellfire Gala issue or Wolverine's upcoming continued solo series. But what is it that you guys are most interested in seeing from issue? five that you just cannot possibly wait to see tied up anywhere else
2: I'm waiting for the inevitable reveal where somebody from Orcus reaches out to Moira I'm waiting for that like last page where like or or Moira's consciousness comes online and she receives an invite to go to Orcus like I I feel like like making that clear connection that that is her next port of call. or maybe that's too obvious you know maybe she's going to be a rogue element maybe she's going to have her own you know because i'm sure she has a perspective on orcas you know
1: i i agree with Arturo. yeah that's what I want. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think it's too obvious at all. I 100. That's what I want to see from this. You need to make the story worth something, with all the incredible, not only damage to Moira's character, but like we talk a lot about like character assassination, and I can talk at length about you know the end of New X Men as, as long as I want. But like at a certain point, this this is a flattening of a character into something that is no longer interesting to me. It's no longer nuanced. It it, it takes the it takes all the muscle out of this muscle car that was Moira. And I think that the end of the series, bringing her to Orcus can do a lot of good towards making her something that I find interesting again.
3: Definitely the Orcus route, I think, could have potential to keep her as a nuanced character. The one thing I need to see you would never have got me to say this before Inferno because I didn't think it would be a possibility, but I need to see a little hug between Raven and Destiny when Raven gets hatched out of her, her colon pod. Oh
1: yeah, yeah well, I mean yeah. yeah, I was going to say Destiny didn't actually die in this issue. I was very worried that she was going yeah. to. But yeah, at the very least, we'll get to see another reunion between the yeah. two of them. This time, the other way around.
2: No, yeah. and I want a full blown make out kiss with tongue. Like, don't give me any of that homophobic hug shit. uh uh-uh. No, yeah. yeah, you're right. Hey, yeah. yeah,
1: Scott can Scott can palm Emma's ass on the fucking cover of Hellfire Gala. Let's see some action here.
3: Yeah, let's see. So let's see Destiny take off her mask and just uh, go right to town. <laughs> That's a, with her kisses. yeah yeah
2: yeah. i want cunnilingus and the arbor magna or (laughs) yeah you did not make that clear
0: (laughs) Now, not that I also don't want to see lesbians absolutely having a picnic on each other, but I think <laughs> one of the things that I am hoping for myself is a little a little something that says Logan learned any fucking thing from the last 10 issues. I just like, I can wait to see perhaps Kieran Gillen execute that moment in the pages of Immortal X-Men. No, I could wait yes, perhaps to see someone execute a lot of the Moira payoff in a book by Zeb Wells. Like, you know, I could yeah. see things like that elsewhere. But what I need from Percy is just some accountability on Logan because he's shown great accountability on Logan. And he is a long form storyteller, like just deliciously so. He's somebody who makes you wait for the payoff, but it's so good. It's like, he, you know, he's an edging artist. And so we find ourselves at the end of this 10 issue experience. And I just really want to see the climax <laughs> as it were help propel Logan to his next state, because we've been here since Hox
1: started. Let's move forward now. I am familiar with the way that Percy writes stories, so I am absolutely in for the ride and waiting for the end of the series, and I'm sure that it will continue into his ongoing Wolverine and X-Force run. I think you hit the nail on the head. I do want to see Karen Gillen address that, especially since they're both on the council, and also because you know he can write queer characters together.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I do need some accountability for Logan, because even though it's future Logan, why did he feel that he had to tell all of their like brutal horrible deaths in the first time in that way
0: he actually took the same drugs Jean took when she was talking to xavier back in <laughs> x5 I, I, I,
1: hold on i'm just gonna go on a spiel about how all you die just just fucking, <laughs> quiet, quiet down for a minute i know you don't need to hear this but i want to gabby wow. with the really cute
3: anime eyes there i was
0: like oh no Gabby thinking to herself, Kitty gets the cute fairy tale to tell Iliana, and I get this. Yeah, I mean,
1: I get it. Like he's, he's making sure that the future feels very real to them, right? Yep. To them personally. He wants them to know like, this is what is in store if we don't do something.
0: And I think that's even the point of the whole series in many ways. X-Lives looked back at Logan and X-Deaths is obsessed with the deaths, right? So in a lot of ways, Omega Logan is obsessed with with death because this is X deaths and that's why it was all about saving lives and X lives you know Moira is trying to extinguish a, a species she's she's a genocidal maniac and the theme of X lives while it was kill Xavier it was sort of like birth the new Russian state the theme of X deaths is end the mutant line and so like I, I feel there's you know through Moira not like Wolverine's like I'm gonna kill all the mutants or anything I mean he's done that before but you know it, yeah I, I I'm ready for issue five.
1: I think that it would have it would have been a giveaway to say it like this, but if the titles had been Ten Pasts of Wolverine and X future of Wolverine, that would have fit.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It bindings worse,
0: but it explains so much better. <laughs> yeah.
3: Absolutely. Or I had wanted to see a reunion between Moira and rain, but like now, please, please never show that ever. Like, and I wonder if Banshee is going to get resurrected. He's going to probably have to get resurrected without his memories of this event because they don't want Moira going into the general knowledge
2: and or either Banshee comes back with his memories and he says, hey, what the fuck, right? Because right, like the Quiet Council knows about Moira and and the lives and deaths and, you know, all of that. But like most of Krakoa does not. But even if Banshee comes back dumb as a rock and doesn't remember shit, Sage has that audio recon of the conversation between Banshee and Moira. So, I mean, I think Sage probably at this point knows what's going on, just like piecing things together. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm really more concerned with the psychological trauma of having gone through this. I almost don't want Sean to remember this at all, because, like, it's gonna eat him alive.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, unless she skinned him alive, there's, a it's safe to assume that... Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she did also, like, say, like hey, the, will you help um, me, and I'll yeah. do
1: anything for you, and
2: then he, yeah. she did kill
1: him, so poor I mean, guy. That, that's traumatic enough that this woman that he loved is back from the dead for the first time in, like, years and years and years, and, and then the first thing she does is deceive him into murder.
3: Yeah, poor guy just thought he was was gonna go you know have a good time maybe maybe hook up with moira maybe maybe rekindle a relationship bam he's dead yeah
0: i recommend reading x-men unlimited 26 right after this and pretending that it comes after it so he gets a happy
1: ending that's a good idea i'll do that